It is really great to see you today. I, you know, kind of a reminder for the end of the service as you're leaving today, just take a really good look around the property. We are at that time of year. You get about one or two Sundays that, that the color is just absolutely beautiful. So whether it's the service berries at the door or a couple of these maple trees are just really lit up today. Take some time and just enjoy that. Take yeah. it in. Because it'll be gone like next it, week. It'll be gone. Yeah. It'll be gone really, really fast. So I, I need to give you the most important public service announcement of the year. None are more important than this one. This is the last week that you can buy Dan's candied apples <laughs> until next year. So um, fantastic apple, Michigan apple, covered in caramel, and like you said, I mean... This isn't Brock's caramel. This is the best caramel you'll ever have. Best in the history I mean, it's of unbelievable. Earth. I bathe in People it. are it's worried awesome. about waiting in line to <clears throat> vote. Listen... Uh, Waiting in line to vote is worth it, but waiting in line for Dan's candies, even if you have it's, to wait two, three hours, it's, worth it's it incredible. every time. It's every incredible. time. They have these little uh, pecan chips on it, and then they double cover it in chocolate. <sighs> it's, it's just amazing. So uh, there's a location on Plainfield Road. There's one in downtown Joliet and Mokina. And Mokina so right make sure, get your apple this week. It accounts for about mm-hmm. five pounds every fall, and it's really <laughs> worth it. Oh, and by the way, time change next week. So uh, in terms of uh, offering, I just want to say, you know, you, you've been so faithful. Online giving, giving at the box at the back. And at the beginning of the year, we, we didn't know, you know, what kind of shape we'd be in when we closed down and everything else. And so uh, one, of the, one of the signs that things are just really healthy and in a good place is this past week we're able to release the funds to all of our partnering organizations. So whether it's uh, Feed My Starving Children or Morning Star Mission, Living Alternatives, uh, Pregnancy Resource Center, all these, all these different uh, groups and people that we partner with in ministry beyond here, we were able to release those funds to them this week and really thrilled about that. And there were some things that we didn't get to do this year, like we keep some money in reserve for people who are on missions trips, and it wasn't a year of, a year of travel, so we were actually able, like with the, the Resource Center, to give them extra this year to see them through a hard time. So, so your faithfulness not only takes care of things here, but, but quite literally around the world, and, and we're grateful for that. So um, this more, last week, uh, your teaching was amazing. I've been thinking about monsters all week long and, and just you know dwelling on the, that, that message, and I've heard, had a lot of people talk to me about it too. It, it yeah. was powerful for them. Well, thanks, because I did receive a lot of encouraging texts this week, you know, talking about last week's message and all that, and uh, I told everybody that was a student message that we had just gone through that I extended, adultified, and all that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so one of the encouraging texts was, hey, you know, I'm just so thankful that this is what you guys are are teaching at uh, at Refuge. It's so encouraging to have our junior hires hearing this and knowing this. Um, But apparently, I'm not doing such a great job in terms of helping our students make other kinds of decisions. Okay. I had a student this week decide that (laughs) putting their cell phone in the microwave and then turning the microwave on was a good idea. Okay. Not a good idea. Okay. Because when this phone went in the microwave and it was turned on, the video was on, so we got to watch as this phone buzzed and zapped and popped and died. So... It's good that you know about your monster. 
fight the sin nature, but also fight the stupid nature. <laughs> because that stupid nature is a part of us all too. And unfortunately, I think too many people following in my stupid nature example at Refuge and Revive than just fighting the sin nature. So Very good. Oh, yeah, bad. Thank you for that. <laughs> so you're going to be reading Joshua chapter 4 to us today, which is a, which is a chapter about reminders. <laughs> and we've had a couple yeah. of good ones today, so yeah. bring that to us. When all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Now choose twelve men, one from each tribe. Tell them, take twelve stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men that he had chosen, one from each of the twelve tribes of Israel. He told them, Go into the middle of the Jordan, in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder. Twelve stones in all, one for each of the twelve tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to, bu- to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. So the men did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan River, one for each tribe, just as the Lord had told Joshua. They carried them to the place where they camped for the night and constructed the memorial there. Joshua also set up another pile of 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan River, at the place where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing, and they are there to this day. The priests who were carrying the Ark stood in the middle of the river until all of the Lord's commands that Moses had given to Joshua were carried out. Meanwhile, the people hurried across the riverbed. And when everybody was safe on the other side, the priests crossed, the, crossed over with the Ark of the Covenant as the people watched. The armed warriors from the tribes of Reuben, Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, led the Israelites across the Jordan just as Moses had directed. These armed men, about 40,000 strong, were ready for battle. And the Lord was with them as they crossed over the plains of Jericho. That day, the Lord made Joshua a great leader in the eyes of the Israelites. And for the rest of his life, they revered him as much as they had revered Moses. The Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant to come up out of the riverbed. So Joshua gave the command. As soon as the priests carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came up out of the riverbed and their feet were on high ground, The water of the Jordan returned and overflowed its banks as it had before. The people crossed the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month. Then they camped at Gilgal, just east of Jericho. It was there at Gilgal that Joshua piled up the twelve stones taken from the Jordan River. Then Joshua said to the Israelites, In the future, your children will ask, What do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, This is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea when he dried it up as they all crossed over. He did this so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful, and so you might fear the Lord your God forever. Amen. So God, we uh, are coming to your word again today. We love your word. We love seeing what you have to say to us, these inerrant, inspired messages given to us uh, so that we can live differently, so that we can know what it's like to be, to be shaped and formed into the image of Jesus. 
And pray today as we, as we listen to the, the stories from Joshua 3, 4, and 5 that, uh, that they would form us, make us, remold us to look more like your son and that we would, we would choose to do things that are written in these pages. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you ever had to wait a long time for something, like in line for a Dan's Candied Apple, or I know longer than that. Like uh, when we were going to build this building, from the time we bought the property to the first night in, 10 years, or from the time we moved from the old building to the new building, seven years. It was a long wait. I don't know if you've had a, a long wait in your life, a time that you're just like, when is this ever going to happen? Today's story is about a long wait. Joshua waited 40 years for today. For what we're going to look at today, 40 long years, 40 years before they almost crossed the Jordan into the promised land, but 10 spies said, don't do it. And the, and the group voted and said, let's not go. And before you know it, he's waiting for 40 years along with Caleb because of other people's decision. And to be honest, it was longer than 40 years. It was literally his entire lifetime. For 80 years, Joshua had lived in expectancy of the day that his family would cross that river and find a new home in the promised land. He was born into Egypt a slave, always hearing the stories, always hearing the reminders that one day we will be in the nation that God has given us. Today is the day, today is the day that Joshua finally gets to enter the land. And we're going to see a part of that story today in chapter 4. But if you're going to look at chapter 4, you really need to look at chapters 3, 4, and 5 all together. It's all part of one and the same story. Chapter 3 is the preparation for the big day. Chapter 4 is what happens on the big day. Chapter 5 is what happens immediately following the big day. So all of them come together. It's important to remember that um, Scripture references, chapters and verses, weren't a part of the original text. It's not as if uh, Paul was sitting there and said, Romans 3, 23, and then wrote, and then 24, and then 25. These are, these are added centuries later for the sake of reference. So that we could sit here today and I could say, turn in your Bibles to Numbers 3, 14, and we'd all go to the same place. We'd all open up the same verse. What happens sometimes with those references is that they can give us a false impression that a story has come to an end, that chapter 3 ends, and we're like, oh, story done. No, the story's not done. It's, it's continuing into chapter 4 and on into chapter 5. So you just need to see all three chapters together in order to get the fullness of the story. Another thing you want to do as you read these chapters is notice, just notice the small remarks along the way, the little cast-off remarks. I, I don't know what your family is like or the people in your, in your life are like, but it, it's possible, even probable, that you have someone in your life that when they tell a story, you feel like you were there because you hear every last word of what happened in the story. They give you every single detail. Everyone, it happened in all three services, spouses looking at each other, one looking tentatively, the other looking like, shut up. So, uh, you know, someone, someone has that tendency to go way overboard with all the details. That actually happens some in these chapters that you're reading along. I mean, this is Joshua's big day. He's waited 40 years. We're ready to get on with this. The people, they leave camp. They're, they're at the edge of the water. The ark is right there. They're ready to go. They're ready to get to the other side. And then we get this little line in there, verse 15. 
It was harvest season. The Jordan was overflowing its banks. Yeah, so what? Let's get on with it. I want to get across the Jordan River. Or a little later in the story, it says that, that the water kept backing up a great distance away to the town of Adam. We get these little details. We're like, that's nice, but just stick with the story. Here's the thing that's beautiful about the little details. They authenticate the story. They authenticate the story. What we, what we get in this is that there wasn't just somebody making up a fable, but we're understanding the reality of what's happening in this place. And we're understanding just how absolutely present and powerful our God is. So it makes the comment, offhand comment, it's harvest season and the Jordan River was overflowing its banks. If you went to the Jordan River today, it looks nothing like it did in the time of Jesus and nothing like it did in the time of Moses. Right now, the Jordan River is used for irrigation throughout the land of Israel. And so in many places, it is but a trickle. And even if you look at satellite imagery of, of, the, of the Dead Sea, it's about half the size it was 50 years ago because all the water is being taken off into the land. So you might look at the Jordan River and go, anybody could cross that. And the truth is, there were times of year and places of the Jordan River that we could cross. It was fordable. You could, you could walk, you get your feet wet or your sandals wet, but, but on the whole, you could walk over to the other side. So someone might hear this story and say, yeah, big deal. So what? So they crossed the Jordan River. Anybody can do that. Well, except at harvest season, when the Jordan was overflowing its banks. The Jordan River for us would be a little bit reminiscent of what happens to the DuPage River. If you like to fish the DuPage River, you got a pretty good sense of the DuPage River. A lot of times it just looks sleepy and slow. You know, you drive over to Shorewood, you cross that, that one bridge and the signs all over the place, no swimming, no diving, and all the kids are swimming and diving. I'm going to join them sometime. But anyway, it, it, you know, sleepy and slow there, just nice, peaceful, and serene. But then there are times a year, whether it is snow melt or, or several inches of rain, that, that that river will overflow its banks. It just goes crazy. It's in basements. It's all over the place. Jordan River did the same thing. The Jordan River would overflow at harvest season. And, and what would, sorry, somebody's calling me. Jordan River, I'm working right now. Um, Jordan River would overflow its banks. And it would overflow to the point that in some places, the river would actually spread a mile wide. Give a little image of a mile wide. From this location to I-55 is a mile. So what would normally be something that was a, you know, at times a stream the size of this stage would spread out over a mile. Why put in that detail? Because it wasn't easy for everybody to cross over. Because it would take a miracle. It would take a miracle to get the people across the river at this time of year. In fact, you get another little authentication. Remember when they're with Rahab? Rahab's drying out flax on her roof. Why? It's harvest season. All these pieces come together to authenticate what's going on in the story. Or the fact that the water backed up to this city called Adam. Like, what's, what's up with that? Adam is about 12 miles north of where they cross. Think about that. 12 miles. That's backing up quite a way. You know what that did? It provided enough space for a million people to cross. If we're going to cross a million people, let's hope it's not a space the size of this stage. We need a space that's ample enough to get them all across to the other side of the river. All these details are placed in there 
to let us know just something of the authenticity of the story. So, so don't, don't miss the little details along the way. Or look at this one. In, in chapter 4, verse 19, it says, the people crossed the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. And then I left in the little uh, subnote there. So you go to the bottom, and it says about verse 419, this, is, this day in the ancient Hebrew lunar calendar occurred in late March, April, or early May. So it's sometime around that time of year. Springtime, though springtime is harvest for them when it is not for us. So it throws in this piece, but then as you're looking at that, you're, if you're thinking about it, it's like, I'd like to know more about the 10th day of the first month. Has that ever been significant before in Scripture? It turns out it has. You go back to Exodus chapter 12. The last and final plague is about to happen. That angel of death is about to come and strike the firstborn. And we read, while the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, the Lord gave the following instruction to Moses and Aaron. From now on, this month will be the first month of the year for you. Announce to the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a goat to sacrifice, one animal per household. And it was the animal that was used for the Passover celebration. Now, Part of the reason this little comment is significant, we have the people go into the land and the first thing they do is celebrate the Passover. Which brings us to the third thing to notice when you're looking at these chapters. You need to have an eye on the big picture. There's a big picture going on here, a bigger story that goes over the course of many years. I want you to think about this little detail for a moment. What's the last thing the people do as they're leaving slavery? They celebrate Passover. What's the first thing they do as they enter the promised land? They celebrate Passover. What's the last thing they do as they walk out of Egypt? Water parts and they cross through on dry ground. What's the first thing they do as they enter the new land and leave the wilderness? Water parts and they walk out on dry ground. There's this beautiful, this isn't just poet, poetic. This isn't just the storyteller going, ooh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to have the, the first scene from the first season and the last scene from the last season be the same. It's not that. God is weaving together a beautiful story of the captivity of the people from slavery to promised land. And you get this, this big picture and it's evident in these three chapters. You also want to, as you're looking at the chapters, start to see Joshua as something of a second Moses. There are a lot of things that happen to Joshua that are the exact same thing that happens to Moses. And Moses is involved in the parting of water. Joshua is involved in the parting of water. We're going to see at the end of chapter 5 that this angel of the Lord is going to appear to Joshua. And you know what he says to him? Take off your shoes, for the place on which you are standing is holy. Just like the bush had spoken, God had spoken through the bush, way back to Moses. So you see these reflective points, and you see God in this passage saying, through these events, I'm going I'm to raise your stature in the eyes of the people, and they're going to view you the way they viewed Moses. Final thing to keep an eye on in these, in these chapters. Keep an eye on the ark. Keep an eye on the ark. Where is the ark of the covenant? So chapters 3 and 4. Chapter 3 is 17 verses. Chapter 4 is 24 verses. If I did the math right, that's 41 verses. If I didn't, two services have already let me down. So anyway, um, 41 verses. And in 41 verses, the ark of the covenant is mentioned 16 times. When something's mentioned 16 times in two chapters, you go, what's up with that? That's significant. That's there for a reason. So we have to ask ourselves, what is the Ark of the Covenant? And we know that the Ark of the Covenant is a piece of sacred furniture that's used in the worship of, the, uh, of Israel. But it's beyond that. 
It's beyond that. It is, it is the throne of God among his people. When God, when God comes down to the tabernacle, when God comes down to the temple, he dwells between the wings of the seraphim there at the Ark of the Covenant. And so what, what the storyteller is telling us here, what, what needs to be reinforced is God is present in this moment. God is present and he is powerful. Don't miss him. He's here. He's here among us. And so two things that are, that are pointed out that we can't miss. This event could not have happened apart from the power of God. The, the water was too raging. There was too much water for it to simply be they crossed through in a, in a, in a little puddle area. It's, it's too big. It, it required the presence and power of God. And God is present every step of the way. He's present with them as they enter the water. He's standing with them in the middle of the dry riverbed and he walks with them to the other side. God is present with them all the time. So you come to chapter four and in chapter four, there's a dominant word and that's the word remember. God doesn't want his people to forget what happens on this day. He wants them to remember it forever. And Brian already read this, but he, he, this is the Lord instructing Joshua. This isn't just Joshua being a creative leader saying, how can we make this a big event? The Lord tells Joshua, 12 men, 12 tribes, go to the riverbed right by the ark, grab a boulder, put it on your shoulder, carry it to Gilgal. We're going to make a mountain of rocks. And he says in verse 6, we'll use these stones to build a memorial. There's going to be this memorial of rocks, and we're not going to forget what God did in this place on this day. And so we have to ask ourselves a question. It's the question we're going to work on for the rest of our time together. And it's not just why remember, but why use a pile of rocks to remember? Why is it important to have tangible, touchable items to remind us of something that God did along the way. There's a quote that I've thrown on the screen a few times before. It's, we are not human beings on a spiritual journey. We're spiritual beings on a human journey. I, I like that. I think sometimes, especially as Christians, we tend to have a dualistic approach that says, our spirit matters, our body's just kind of the container. Eventually, we'll throw the container away. It doesn't matter. God made you body, soul, and spirit. He made you all of those things. And he wants you to enjoy him with all of those things. And so as a human being in a human body, God knows because he's our designer, God knows that we will remember better if we have something seeable, touchable, tasteable, smellable, that the senses can engage. You know this has happened. Have you ever walked in a room, taken a smell, and all of a sudden you're four years old again? or you're 10 years old again, you're like, oh, it brings back a memory. Or, or, or you taste something and it, and it transports you to a meal you had on a vacation or something else. You have those moments. God's designed your body as a, as a remembering house, as a place that you remember things that happen. And so we have this pile of rocks there that we're able to remember what God's done. We can see it. We can touch it. And part of the reason he does this is because we're so quick to forget Oh, the Israelites are proof of that, right? 
I mean the Red Sea part. You should only ever need that one miracle to know God is real. That's it. One major miracle, you're done. Boom, over. But, you know, the, the Red Sea goes back. There are a couple days in the wilderness. We're thirsty. We're going to die. God provides water from a rock. We'll never forget you, God. I'm hungry. You hungry? Yeah, I'm hungry. I want something to eat. We need something to eat. Manna. Oh, we'll never forget you, God. Oh, I'm sick of manna. Manna, shmanna, manna, manna, manna. Give us meat, quail. Oh, we'll never forget. They, they do it again and again and again and again. You're like, stupid Israelites, what's their problem? Uh, they're human just like us. Think of the number of times God has shown up powerfully in your life. and You go, I'll never forget you again, God. And three days later, you're like, God, shmad, I'm uh, done with this. Really? We do that. We do that. We're so quick to forget. And so we need something along the way to look back and say, I remember. I remember when that happened. Here's the other thing. We don't see the waters part every day. Every day doesn't involve a major miracle. Now, I know what some of you are going to say. Life is a miracle. Every breath is a miracle. I get it. I get it. But it's not every day you watch a river go, and you walk through on dry ground. And so when those things happen, we need a way of saying it happened, and I remember. And what's cool is when you remember those big things, you start to see all the other miracles that happen every day of your life. They're around you all the time. But maybe most importantly, the reason we need these memorials is that we, as Christ followers, we live as a witness to the power and presence of God. It is part of your mission in life today to live as a witness to the fact that God is and that God is powerful, that he is present and that he is powerful. I don't know about you, I've been spending a little bit too much time watching the news these days, feel like I'm dumpster diving all the time. So, you know, you're watching all the junk around you all the time, and the junk is filling your mind all the time. We, as Christ followers, are the ones that are witness to the presence and power of God when it seems like there is nothing worthwhile going on in the world. That's our privilege. That's our privilege to live that out. So how do we live that out? We live that out with these, with these memorials, with these things along the way that we can point to and remind ourselves, but they can also serve as reminders to others. Joshua says, you're going you're gonna to have this pile of stones, and in the future, your children are going to ask, what do these stones mean? Uh, they're not going to ask it that way. They're going to say, what's that? What's that? What's that? What's that? Can I have it? Can I have three? Can I eat it? What's that? So they're going to ask that question. And when your kid asks the what's that question, the answer isn't, just be quiet. We got to keep going. It's to stop and tell the story. This past week was the third anniversary of Kim's dad's going home to heaven. Her dad could tell a story. I, I kind of wish we were Israelites because it would have been so cool with our family to be wandering with her dad and for little Brian or Shelly or Nate, or one of the grandkids say, Grandpa, what's that? And he just said, let me tell you. And he'd have sat us down, and for the next two and a half hours, we'd have heard every detail of the story in fantastic beauty. We need that. We need these little markers along the way that our kids point at and say, what's that? Why do you have that? What's that about? And we're ready to tell the story of the presence and power of God. It's so important that at the end of the chapter, he repeats it again, almost word for word. Your kids are going to ask. Be ready to tell your kids. It's reflective of what Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 6. As you're walking 
along the way tell the stories of God. And so he literally sets this thing up. So as there's walking along the way, the kid is saying, pile of rocks, what's up with that? Let me tell you the story. So we have the chance to do that, but, but we also, I didn't, I didn't uh, put the verse on a slide, but chapter 4, verse 24, it says, He did this so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful, and so that you might fear the Lord your God forever. The other reason for the memorial is not just for the sake of our children, but for the sake of the lost world around us. So that they point at it, they look at it and say, what's up with that? And we get to tell the stories of the presence and power of God. We get to be witness to the presence and power of God in our lives. And we see that the message got through. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, When all the Amorite kings of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the Mediterranean coast heard how the land had dried up, the Lord had dried up the Jordan so the people of Israel could cross, they lost heart and were paralyzed with fear because of them. So the message got out there. We have these memorials and reminders along the way that someone, you might just get that moment that they say, what's up with that? And you're able to tell a story of the presence and power of God. I, I not too long ago, got to recover one of, one of my rocks. I forgot about it. It's actually been in the basement. 802 NTK. 802 NTK. When Nate was little, he loved to collect license plates. In his room, we had a wall of all the license plates he had. There's supposed to be one from every state, but when we open the box, there aren't, so there must be another box somewhere. But anyway, took it out to Colorado with him so that he could start looking through and having his junk at his house. And you have stuff at our house, by the way. But anyway, um, <laughs> trying, to, trying to get rid of some of the stuff. And um, so he's looking through, and he came across one of the copies of 802 NTK. This was, this was the license plate on our car when I was a kid. When I was really little, New York actually had the colors inverted. It was a blue plate with orange lettering. And then one of the governors, I think Hugh Carey or somebody, decided to be brilliant and put a really gaudy, ugly plate on everybody's car. So we had this orange plate on everybody's car. 802 NTK. I, 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 this car would pull up. I knew this was us. I, I, I don't use it as a password, so don't try it. But anyway, um, this, this number is ingrained in my mind. And uh, when I was little, and it really throughout my life, my, my, dad, my dad, he qualifies as, you know, kind of a classic handyman. He's willing to tackle anything, try anything. There isn't, there isn't anything he looks at and goes, I should hire that out. So whether it was putting a roof on the house or whatever, he did it himself. And one of his do-it-himselfs was he worked on his own cars. That was, that was his thing. We had a 67 Ford. And he'd work on his own car. This thing, you know, you'd open up the hood. It wasn't like now with all the junk in it. There's so much space on either side of the engine that you could grab a pillow, lay down, and fall asleep next to the engine. A lot of space in there. And, and New York loved to use, Western New York loved to use a lot of salt on the road with the ice and the snow. So everything rusted horribly. In fact, the back of the plate, a lot of rust. Our car just rusted out like crazy. Big holes. My dad didn't like the holes, so he'd get the bondo, you know, get them all covered. Or, or sometimes the hole gets so big that, that he'd get a piece of sheet metal and literally rivet it to the side, of the side of the car. And then he'd prime it. But the guy would never go back to the original paint. So we look like this leopard driving down the street with all these primer spots all over our car. Big old car. It was 4th of July. I'm 10 or 11 years old. And my dad's going to change the muffler on the car. Not just the muffler, the whole exhaust system. He's changing it out. So he decides he's going to do this. It, he's worked midnight, so he's tired, but he's going to change the muffler on the car, uh, the exhaust system. 
My mom wasn't home. My mom had gone to the farmer's market. She took her bike and she comes home and, and rides up the driveway and she was excited because she found a new vegetable at the farmer's market. It was called kohlrabi. Some of you have probably seen it. It's almost like a root vegetable that grows above the ground. And, you know, so anyway, she's real psyched about this kohlrabi. She's showing us like, my, my mind can still see the kohlrabi in her hand. She's holding it, showing it to us. And as she's showing us from behind me, I hear crash. And I turn and look. And all we can see is my dad's legs from here out, and the car has fallen on him. It's landed on him. Uh, he took the tires off to work on the car. So if you're not aware, I mean, you take the tires off a car and you lay it down, you got about six inches. Now, just, you know, body model. That's that, that, that bigger than six inches, right? I mean, that's... And my dad was in better shape, but nonetheless... There, I don't see many six-inch thick men walking around. So there's the car laying on him, and, and I'm, it's weird that I, as a little kid, I'm not aware enough to think my dad is probably crushed to death under there. Didn't even hit me. Didn't even strike me that my dad is probably crushed. And my mom screams out, Joe, Joe. And, um, and I'm just, I'm standing over by her bike still, and I'm watching this whole thing happening. And she she walks over to the back of the car and she puts her hands on the bumper and she just lifts, lifts the car. And my dad slides out, stands up, stumbles over to the grass and falls. And I'm like, what just happened? What just happened? It's crazy. And this, believe me, this was a this is a mile marker story in the history of our family, right? We talked about it. I remember a little later in the day, oh, we were staying at our neighbor's house, the Fallendorfs, and um, we got a phone call that my dad, everything was okay except that he had separated his shoulder. This guy's body was fine after having been trapped under a 67 Ford. And the story would come up in our family from time to time because it's just, it's mind-blowing. I remember one time, you know, we're, we're at my grandpa's, and my dad and I are standing at the back of our new 1976 Ford, and um, standing there, and I'm looking at it, and I, and I said, you know, you take the tire off that car, there's just not much space there. How in the world, how in the world did you not get crushed? How in the world did you not get crushed? But then I looked, but, and I said, but, but, I'm still, I'm still blown away that mom walked over, picked up the car, and you got out. And he's like, what are you talking about? So, well, I saw mom go over and pick up the car, and, and you got out. And, and my dad said, she's never told me that. So we went inside and said, mom, tell him about picking up the car. It's like, I didn't pick up the car. It wasn't me. I yelled out, Joe, Joe. I wasn't yelling at your dad. I was yelling at the neighbor, Joe Monty, to come outside. And when he didn't come outside, I went over to the house. And when I came back out, your father was out laying on the lawn. And now I'm going, what's up with that? What in the world was that? Here I thought, all these years, I had this story of tremendous human adrenaline. We've all heard those stories, right? 
the adrenaline story where some wimpy, look at this. And my mom wasn't there. And all I could make of it was that this merciful God in heaven decided it was not the day for my father to come to heaven, that his family needed him. And he sent one of his angels in the form of his mo- my mom to not scare a 10-year-old to death, to lift the car and let him out. This is my rock. You know, I don't need a miracle story to prove that God is true. The Bible is 100% accurate. But in those moments that I might doubt whether God is or if God is good or God cares, 802NTK, the God of the universe spared my dad supernaturally. This particular lesson on memorial rocks would have made a great Thanksgiving sermon. But, you know, it happened in chapter 4. So I had to do it now. So what you can do over the next month is collect your rocks. Start to collect the rocks from your life of the time that God showed up and you can, you can say, only God could have done that. I could not have gotten across that river on my own. Only God could have done that. And his presence was as clear as the ark in the middle of the river. Collect them. Maybe you'll collect them and, you know, literally because your family goes here, all bring your rocks and talk about them at Thanksgiving dinner. Or maybe you'll just set them out and see if anybody goes, hey, what's up with that plate? And you're ready with the story. You're ready to tell your story of the presence and power of God in your life because he is. He is present. He is powerful. He is there for you. And he wants to make himself known and real to you so that you can make him known and real to your children and to a lost and dying world all around you. So God, we we pray today that you would bring to our memory those times, those times that your presence and power have been so real that we should not forget. Manna fell from the sky. Water came from a rock. A river or 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 a body of water parted. You were there miraculously for us, God. Help us to cling tightly to those moments, but to share them often. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And so we're going to sing a song right now that, I don't know, in many ways has become a a rock, a rock of uh, of 2020. I saw yesterday an advertisement for a 2021 car, and I was like, yay, it's going to end. 2021's coming. But this song has been, has been one of our rocks during this season. And so I want to encourage you as it begins uh, to take communion. The ultimate remembrance, whenever you do this, remember me. Remember Jesus and the miracle he performed on your behalf, dying, being buried, and rose again to pay for your sin. You can either do that sitting and then join us standing or stand and then sit and stand, but let's sing together.
I'm not. <laughs> Have an assignment. Go collect some rocks. And while you do, know this. His presence is before you and behind you and beside you and around you and within you. He is with you now, always, and forever. Don't listen to your circumstances. Your circumstances are liars. God is a truth teller. He is with you. He is for you. Enjoy your week.